Welcome to the podcast Potables Network. You're listening to Power Bombs and Potables brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at PowerBombsPPN for pro wrestling news and talk. You can also follow us on Instagram and untapped at Process Potables. Check out our other shows on Twitter at Process Potables, at PucksPPN, and at PopcornPPN. A lot of new stuff with the potential of basketball and hockey making their returns right into the playoffs. And with the Popcorn and Potables always dropping new, great, fun movie podcasts, you want to make sure you don't want to miss an episode of those as well. For news, blog posts, info on breweries we've worked with, and so much more, make sure to check out www.processpotables.com. Well, this week we saw 1998 be replayed in 2020. We saw a real-life personal issue played out on television and a whole bunch more to discuss on this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables. Welcome to this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables. My name is Corey Oates, your host every single week as we break down the good, the bad, uh, and the questionable, that is, of professional wrestling every single week. Uh, before we start off, we know what we do with those news of the week. We started off with this week's Quick Sips. And for this week's Quick Sips, I uh, dug really deep into the fridge. So, right now, in my hand, I am drinking a DC Brow Pen Quarter Porter. Now, I took a trip down to Washington, D.C. several years ago. Let's flip to the bottom of this can. It was canned November 9th, 2015. So, this uh, this ought to be interesting. Uh, not necessarily a beer that you'd want to be drinking in the summertime, but I wanted something different. I've been drinking a lot of IPAs uh, over this past weekend figured now that i'm sitting at home sunday night i could drink this uh it is a it was a limited re- uh release robust quarter all right uh let's see here uh pen quarter is most famous for ford's theater where president abraham lincoln was assassinated and his coat and hat can still be seen to this day so there you go it doesn't really uh tell you anything else about it besides that it should be uh served in a tulip which oh I happen to have poured it in without even reading that. Uh, So, cheers to that. All right, that's pretty good still. Uh, All these years later, almost five years old, uh, is that one. We'll be drinking that throughout the show. So we're going to start off with this week's news. Uh, We're going to start off with a positive one. Diona Perrazzo didn't waste any time landing in a new promotion following her WWE release just a couple of weeks back. The former NXT wrestler was shown in a vignette this week on Impact. Uh, the video begins with Perazzo introducing herself as the Virtuosa, followed by her explaining what that means. No word at this time on if Diona has signed a full-time deal with Impact, 
Uh, as you'll recall, the 25-year-old was released back in April amidst the cost-cutting measures in WWE. She, uh, as well as others in NXT like uh, Tay Conti, Cesar uh, Bononi, uh, were quickly let go from the NXT brand, uh, but they were allowed to go work if they wanted to. So she found work very quickly, which is great because Deanna Perrazzo is uh, a tremendous talent. Despite the cruise industry being at a standstill due to the global COVID-19 pandemic, Chris Jericho's Rockin' Rager at Sea has announced another voyage. According to the announcement, Chris Jericho's Rockin' Wrestling Rager at Sea, Triple Whammy, will check February 1st to the 5th from Miami to Grand Bahama Island next year on the Norwegian Pearl. Last week, Norwegian Cruise Lines extended a suspension of all ships through the end of July. The suspension was previously extended through June after the CDC announced a 100-day no-sale order following outbreaks on multiple cruise lines. Despite the fact that Jericho's cruise uh, began to unveil details for next year, the event will feature appearances from the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Bully Ray, and more. Comedian Brad Williams has been announced as the official cruise host, and former WWE Women's Champion Candice Michelle will be the guest cruise director. Jericho's band Fozzie and Christian rock band Striper, one of my favorites, are set to perform along with uh, other uh, wrestling matches, most likely uh, a full AEW show like this past year. Uh, unlike last year where it was taped, this year should be live, they announced. Uh, I recall Cody saying that. Uh, podcast recordings, comedy shows, and more. This cruise is also scheduled to feature paranormal activities, whatever that means. According to the Wrestling Observer, WWE SmackDown writer Chris DeJoseph was released from WWE on Friday. According to PW Insider, DeJoseph was at the WWE SmackDown tapings earlier this week and had even received a promotion within the last week or so. The release isn't related to any of the COVID-19-inspired cutbacks. Something else had to have happened here. Now, DeJoseph had been working as the lead writer on SmackDown under executive director Bruce Prichard. The firing was said to have been due to uh, inappropriate conduct and remarks he made during a backstage WWE meeting. As of this moment, there is no details uh, on the alleged remarks or conduct. Whatever it was, it must have pissed off Vince McMahon uh, to the point where he needed to be let go. The Joseph had been working under SmackDown executive director Bruce Prichard. Uh, McMahon was the person, apparently, that made this decision to fire Chris Joseph. And he was said to have been irate over to Joseph exhibiting, quote unquote, highly unprofessional behavior. According to people who work closely with the Joseph, he was struggling to maintain and keep up with the company's grueling work schedule. The Joseph made his return last December, starting with the TLC pay-per-view. Many uh, casual fans will remember his on-screen character from back in the mid-2000s, Big Dick Johnson. The dispute between WWE and the WWE Hall of Famer, Ric Flair, over the man trademark is done. The two sides came to an agreement where Flair sold all rights to the trademarks, which there were two, back on May the 18th, uh, which he had tried to register in August of 2019. Flair uh, had done after WWE had marketed Becky Lynch as being the man was when he put those trademarks through. At this time, he felt he should be paid accordingly for WWE exploiting them uh, to promote Lynch, Flair recently signed a new deal with the WWE. Drew Gulak is already back with WWE. Gulak's contract initially expired a couple of weeks ago, and he spent some time as a free agent, but was able to later come to new agreements with the company. 
Per a report from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Gulak's new contract is a multi-year deal. Uh, Dave Meltzer added that Gulak was contacted for dates, but turned them down, meaning that clearly he, he knew where he was going, uh, which was back with the WWE. Also with the Wrestling Observer, they reported that Nigel McGuinness was one of the talents that was furloughed by WWE last month. Uh, last month obviously saw the releases of several wrestlers, producers, referees, and more. It should be noted that many of the NXT releases were not announced and only discovered later, such as Rachel Evers or Rachel Ellering. Uh, furloughed employees could be brought back, so Nigel may not be gone permanently, uh, but if you have noticed in recent weeks, the NXT announce team has had Tom Phillips in the place where Nigel McGuinness used to be. Ring of Honor has announced on Monday, Memorial Day, that they have agreed to a new contract with Flip Gordon, who has signed a multi-year deal to remain with the company. The signing was first announced on the premiere edition of ROH Week by Week. Gordon said, Ring of Honor has been my home for the last three years, and I'm very excited to say that I'm not going anywhere for years and years to come. Uh, because the mercenary has signed a new multi-year, multi-million dollar deal, Gordon said. Uh, now it's time to go win some ROH gold. Uh, so Gordon, who's ridiculously agile, uh, became uh, has his background in amateur wrestling, mixed martial arts, and gymnastics. He's come a long way from his pro wrestling debut uh, in a short amount of time. Uh, he started back in 2017, just spending about two years on the independent circuit. Uh, he had a rookie year that was very uh, impressive. He was the ROH breakout star of the year 2018. That year, Gordon got the better of Bully Ray in a great feud, which even went through and had a stop at the original um, all-in pay-per-view that took place uh, several years ago now at this point. Um, and he won the initial Sea of Honor tournament on the first Chris Jericho cruise by defeating Silas Young, Marty Skrull, and Dalton Castle, as well as Jay Briscoe to win that tournament. And that's it for this week's Quick Sips. Raw comes to us live on the air to uh, present Fights on Ice. Well, I, we say that because if you look at this place, well, they have completely covered up the guardrails uh, several feet high with plexiglass. It almost looks like a hockey rink. Uh, but behind that plexiglass is several NXT talents scattered in the crowd. So the first thoughts that I had here, uh, being that I have a decent background in doing live sound and how it works, is to see how much the glass is going to cut off of the sound of these these talents, unless they had the, them mic'd back there, you know, maybe a couple of extra mics. It could have also been done because maybe they felt that that's a very small enclosed room with the amount of people they had out there. Maybe it could have been too loud, which makes no sense due to the fact that they packed the performance center for that one NXT episode back in early March, which saw the Tommaso Ciampa-Johnny Gargano feud continue. The show opens with the Kevin Owens show. His guest, Asuka, as they started off. Charlotte Flair comes down and she says that she should be handed the Raw Women's title because she has beaten Asuka every time that they have fought. At this point, Natalia comes out. Uh, she apologizes for wrecking Kevin Owens' set last week, which she did after her match uh, against Shayna Baszler. Nia Jax at this point hits the ring. Owens says to Asuka, whatever she does, to not hit Nia Jax in the face next. 
So, of course, naturally, this causes uh, Asuka to hit that super snug backhand to the face of Nia Jax and the women brawl with Asuka being the last woman standing in the ring. First match of this show is, we're going right into it, for the United States title, Andrade defending against Apollo Crews. This match starts off super fast-paced, uh, Cruz getting the offense in, which makes sense, being that he's the babyface challenger looking to finally win his first title in WWE. Andrade uh, nails a spinning elbow to turn the tide of the match. Uh, Cruz nails a kick that ends up knocking Andrade into Zelina Vega, uh, who was on the apron at the time, which, you know, sent her crashing down to the floor. Andrade keeps the offense going, including that god-awful spot that so many people do, where they perch themselves across the top rope in the corner, and they hold themselves up so that he can jump down and double stomp their chest. It's a god-awful spot. I hate it. It's fake. Why in anybody's right mind would you hold yourself up there making yourself vulnerable for this guy who's standing above you every single time? It's stupid. It's phony. It, just stop doing it. I don't care if it's one of his spots. Do something else with a double stomp. All right, moving on. Apollo Crews hits a press slam and a standing moonsault uh, and a standing shooting star press. Apollo Crews is your new United States champion. Not something that I don't think a lot of people saw was going to happen, but, you know, good for Apollo Crews. What this says to me, really, is that Andrade is going to be the next contender for Drew McIntyre, which, I don't know, kind of makes me already feel that he might... We'll get to that later in this show. All right. So uh, all I can say is when you eventually get to Andrade and Drew, as long as these two can have NXT style matches that they had and not like the one they had a few weeks back on Raw, that would, you know, be great. I'd prefer that. Speaking of Drew McIntyre, he's uh, tonight's guest on MVP's VIP lounge. Drew comes out to the ring and immediately destroys the set which has pretty much been his thing for contract signings and anything else because he always says that he knows how these things end. So he uh, assumes, obviously, Lashley's going to come out here. He's bound to make an appearance at some point. MVP assured him that there would be no ambush, reminded Drew that how he tried to be uh, a friend during their last VIP lounge segment before WrestleMania. MVP says that when McIntyre hit him with a Claymore, it made him realize that Drew would become champion, and he wanted to play a role in him losing that title to Lashley. Drew reminds us that he beat Brock Lesnar in under five minutes at WrestleMania, which I hate the idea of the fact that this had to get brought up. All people remember at this point is that Drew won the match and he won the belt. Why do you need to bring up the fact that he won in five minutes? Because... When Drew and Lashley go 12 to 15 in two weeks, what's that going to say about Brock, who this company has put millions of dollars into in the last 10 years? And he's going to be back eventually. It's just foolish. Doesn't need to be done. Eventually, uh, as you'd imagine, Lashley hits the ring. Uh, before he makes it, Drew hits MVP with a Claymore, and Lashley just pulls MVP out of the ring. Angel Garza, Kevin Owens are going to have a match here. This match starts when Garza attacks Owens during Owens' entrance by taking out his knee, which was the story they told for the entire match. In the end, uh, I'm sure, which was another shock tonight, Angel Garza hits the wing clipper to get the clean win over Kevin Owens. So uh, they're, they're putting stock into some of these young guys, but the problem is, is how far is the ceiling going to be for them? Time is going to tell with how they use them, how they book them, 
We'll see. They need stars. They need them badly. Um, uh, there were several spots throughout this show with Seth Rollins uh, as he's holding the mask of Rey Mysterio. For what it's worth, they're advertising the retirement of Rey Mysterio on Raw tomorrow night. Well, tonight, depending on when you're listening to this episode. Um, of course, that will be hosted by Seth Rollins, so you can only assume how real that's going to be. Alistair Black, Humberto Carrillo team up tonight to honor Rey Mysterio to take on Murphy and Seth Rollins. Uh, well, not Seth Rollins, but his newest disciple, Austin Theory. Now, I'll say this. Humberto Carrillo does absolutely nothing for me. He's a classic situation of a guy that was brought up by WWE, got a big win over, I believe it was AJ Styles, a couple of months back. And ever since then, this guy has just been used to get good matches out of the same three guys and never, ever gets a win. Thus, why should I even give a shit when this guy is on my TV? The fast forward instantly gets activated when this guy's on my screen. I don't know how you feel, but Austin Theory has been pretty much de demoted to Brooklyn Brawler status for me at this point in time. For years... You know, we've been crying for new stars, and they just refuse to give them to the fans. And this is the end result. Just because he got one win doesn't mean that anybody's going to give two shits about him when he loses every match he's in five months later. So point is, this match doesn't matter. Murphy and Theory win. They threaten to take out Carrillo's eye like they did to Ray a few weeks back if Aleister Black didn't put a steel chair down that he had in his hand. Eventually, Black puts the chair down... And Murphy, Theory, Rollins, they're gone. I was not a fan of this segment. I will say I like Austin Theory better with the group of Murphy and Rollins. Also, I'm a fan of the suit-wearing Messiah Seth Rollins that's been going on. But Humberto Carrillo is not a viable threat to anybody. So again, I don't care about this. Next up, we have a triple threat number one contenders match for the Raw Women's title. We're seeing Natalia versus Nia Jax versus the NXT Women's Champion, Charlotte Flair. Asuka is out here on commentary for this match, uh, which is good for once. She was just speaking in sound bites. Once we get to SmackDown, you'll see why I appreciated this uh, commentary on Asuka's behalf. Everyone bumped for Jax the entire match, except for the two bumps that Jax took. One being a spot where she was powerbombed through the announce table by Charlotte and Natty, which... Looked like a struggle for them to walk her from the uh, the apron through the table. We go to a commercial break at that point. When they get back from the break, Asuka, for some strange reason, helps Nia Jax get back into the ring. We don't know why. Then the other bump is there's a god-awful Tower of Doom spot. Can this move just be erased from wrestling? It's fake. It's phony. It's sloppy. It takes forever to set up. And the crash landing, especially this one... Looks horrible. This time, you had a situation where Charlotte's on the, the rope, on the back of the turnbuckle. Nia Jax climbs the second rope, and Natty runs over and gets to the powerbomb position. Probably about 25 seconds later, once everybody's hooked and ready to go, we take off, and they landed really awkwardly for Charlotte. Now, here's why this is even more stupid. She's your golden goose. 
She's working almost every single show, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, every week, having good matches. She's the golden goose of this company. This is dumb. It's foolish. Get rid of that fucking move before you get rid of the buckle bomb, in my opinion. The buckle bomb has had its unsafe moments, but what we've learned about the buckle bomb is it's not the move. It's about the execution and how the guy takes it. They need to take that a certain way. If they don't feel comfortable taking it, then they shouldn't take it. This move just looks shitty. The buckle bomb at least looks devastating, and when it's done right, nobody's hurt. So pick your poison here. So everyone came close to winning several times before Jax hit Natty with a Samoan drop for the pin. So Nia Jax, Asuka, as you'd assume, we had a little speed bump getting there, but these two are going to meet for the Raw Women's title at Backlash in two weeks. Uh, so we'll be covering that with a special recap show as well as next Sunday with NXT TakeOver in your house. Um, earlier, backstage in the show, we get MVP and Lashley challenging the Raw Tag Team Champions, the Street Profits, to a match in the main event of the show, which Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford accept. I'm not going to talk about the golf segment. These segments are getting worse and worse each week. I felt the basketball one we could have talked about. Next week, the Viking Raiders challenge the Street Profits to bowling. Ay, ay, ay. Where's the wrestling? They're two great tag teams. One of them's your tag team champions. At least they finally wrestled a match here. Tonight, they wrestle Lashley and MVP. Uh, Ford took a lot of punishment before he finally was able to make a hot tag to Dawkins in this. Dawkins, uh, you know, really took the fight to MVP. While Ford managed to drive Lashley into a barricade here. Now Lashley pretty much uh, no-sells this and puts Ford into the full Nelson. He refused to release this hold until McIntyre's music hit. At this point, Drew runs the ring and began beating down on Lashley. And then they slowly start trying to pull the NXT wrestlers that are in the crowd into the ring to pull apart the melee Naturally, the other, you know, McIntyre and, and Lashley are able to fight them off, and it's a classic pull-apart to to end this show. Another week of three hours that's just painful to get through. Now, the Backlash pay-per-view has potential to be good, but a three-hour potentially good pay-per-view isn't really worth the, I don't know, if we're just talking Raw only, 12 to 15 hours of bad TV leading up to it? I don't know. By the way, Impact shot new episodes this week. Once again, their world champion was not there. This is bad. Anyway, we open up with this uh, tournament match. Ace Austin versus Hernandez. Great opener to this show. These two go about 12 minutes. Hernandez, the big powerhouse, TNA original, did some selling for the young guy Ace Austin here, which I'm completely okay with. Ace Austin, um, while he's not the biggest guy in the world, he's got an interesting look. He's good in the ring. He's a great shithead heel. I'd say I'd put him up there maybe, maybe, argument's sake, the number two heel in wrestling behind, of course, the wonderful... MJF. Uh, the momentum starts to change here as Hernandez connects on several clotheslines, throws Austin back into the ring. Hernandez comes crashing in with a backbreaker. Hernandez covers 
Austin gets the kick out. Hernandez sets up Austin for the border toss. Austin slides out from behind and clips Hernandez with a kick. At this point, Austin flies uh, with a crossbody. Hernandez, of course, catches him. Austin then counters with a Hearn Conrada. Austin sets himself up in the corner, connects the fold on Hernandez, and wins this match. So, if there's one thing that I will say is impact. Great example of a company that has always lost their stars and then finds new young stars to make stars again. Ace Austin's a star, and I will say this every single week. He's going to eventually be the world champion in this company. Mark my words. The, the other things that I want to talk about, not too much on this. The North versus Cody Deaner and Wheels for the Impact Tag Team Championships. Another cinematic North match. However, this one takes place in the Deaner compound. Now, I couldn't determine if this was good or bad. Because there's some things, I guess, that made me laugh. So much shit on this made me just cringe and shake my head. Now, for what it's worth, this is better than the North segments that they've been shooting in Canada that have aired probably the last three or four weeks. I kind of lost track because after the first one, I realized that they're just garbage. The North retains. Who really cares? If you really care, go out of your way to watch this. All I can say is this happens in a barn. There's a fight on top of a tractor trailer. There's the uh, legless referee. Um, I, I forget his name. All I remember is that he competed in the original um, all-in casino casino battle royal last year. He did the 609 spot and stuff like that. He's the referee here. And uh, he ends up getting... A couple of licks in, and then they beat him up, and it just... All right, I determined it wasn't good. It just, it fucking sucked. But if you're looking for something to really pick apart, watch that. Main event on this show, Michael Elgin versus Trey. This match went about 26 minutes. Now, this is the other match in the number one contenders title tournament. The winner of this will face Ace Austin for that shot against Tessa Blanchard that I'm assuming isn't going to happen for three years. A lot of near falls in this match between these two. The finish comes uh, as Elgin goes to hit the Elgin bomb. Sammy Callahan's ICU uh, logo pops up on the screen. And then Trey rolls up Elgin's, who's distracted, to get the win. Another week. Another roll up to protect someone. Good match. Flat ending. Mr. Austin, why are you here? Because I'm sick and tired of seeing Mike Tyson. He comes in, he's shaking everybody's hands, making friends with all the WWF superstars, and it's made me so damn sick I've been in the back throwing up. Yeah, me too. I ain't gonna shake your damn hand because I ain't out here to make friends with you. Mike, I didn't shut up. I respect. I respect what you've done in the boxing world, but Jesus Christ, son, when you step in this ring, you're messing with Stone Cold Steve Austin, and that's something you don't do. Yeah, you're on a different planet now. Let me make it short and sweet. What I'm telling you is I want a piece of Mike Tyson's ass. Do I think you could beat my ass? Hell no. Do I think I could beat your ass? Why, hell yeah. 
I don't know how good your hearing is, but if you don't understand what I'm saying, I always got a little bit of sign language, so here's to you. say this to you one time Tyson shut your mouth when I'm talking to you huh you understand me I have been dreaming of this moment for 10 years you turned on me you looked me in the eye and said I could trust you and then you turned on me and you knocked me out because you're a sucker man you deserve that man because you were wrong you stole the championship I'm going to give this. you one chance to apologize to me or I'm going to knock you the hell out. Apologize to me right now. Okay, you look great. Apologize to me before I knock your damn teeth down your throat. You understand me? Don't hold your breath, Le Champion. Oh, Jericho. Oh, no. Slug it, Tyson. Tyson Trent. Look at right hand on Belfort by Jericho. And, and the, My God, all the Strain Chris Jericho and Iron Mike Tyson fighting the inner circle. My God, our guests, Mike Tyson and company are raising hell as a fight in the ring. Look at, look at Hager trying to get him some. Cody trying to restrain Tyson. It's, it's a damn street warfare here. Jericho struck the first throw and Tyson didn't take too kindly with it. This has completely broken down. So much to dissect here. As you just heard, whew, we're going to get to that. AEW starts off this week with a six-man tag match. The Young Bucks and Matt Hardy versus the Private Party and Joey Janela. Now, before the match, we get a pre-taped backstage vignette where the Bucks tell Matt that they don't want broken Matt Hardy. And Matt walks off screen. He comes back in his Team Extreme Matt Hardy. They don't want that either. Then they essentially get Jobber Purple Tights Matt Hardy from... Like 19, well, it's weird because he's supposed to be Jobber Matt Hardy from the early 90s, but he's wearing tights from the mid 2000s. So yeah, I don't see how you want Jobber Hardy, but I don't know. It was fun to at least get them to do this vignette. I enjoyed the vignette, but I didn't enjoy why they were doing this. Fucking makes no sense. Shit. So, Private Party. A lot less sloppy here than they were on the pay-per-view a couple of nights prior. Uh, Joey Janela, still garbage. Uh, I appreciate Matt Hardy here uh, calling himself a spot monkey. <laughs> uh, he hits a moonsault across all three of them. There's a spot where the Bucks jump the guard round go after the Butcher and the Blade. The Bucks hit uh, Cassidy with more bang for your buck. Uh, and finish with the win. Mark Quinn legit appeared to have gotten injured during this match. After the match, uh, he gets helped to the back by Matt Hardy. No update on his condition or if it's just a work. 
So at this point, the ring clears except for the Bucks, who now get attacked by the Butcher and Blade on the receipt. Now, just like we did a couple weeks ago with Cody, we hear a car coming, but this time it's not Cody. It's Cash Wheeler and Dax Harwood. Not the Revival, not the Revolt, just FTR, which they claim stands for Fuck the Rest. All right. They're here. They hit the ring with the intention to take out the Bucks, but they turn and take out the Butcher and the Blade. All right, this is a fun moment. They hit the Arn and Tully spike pile driver. I love it. Uh, there's actually a fun video that surfaced online of all these classic 80s tag team finishers that they've hit over the years where it'll play the original one and then them. These guys are great, and people have said it, and I think they're going to finally get the opportunity to do it. I know that a couple weeks back talking to Dan, he just said that these guys didn't do it for him on the microphone. Maybe they're going to have the chance to do it here. Prove him wrong. Prove him wrong. There you go. Um, so next up, we're going to get Brian Cage, who wins a squash match. They've announced the match for him and Mox for the AEW world title at Fighter Fest, which we still don't have a date for. So in the meantime, just feed people to Cage. So well done. This is a great example of that. Uh, Quick really showed off the stuff that Brian Cage can do. If you've never seen him, he's super athletic and very quick for for jacked up guy like he is. Now, I was watching the first part of this show with my brother who's watched wrestling just as long as I have. He just hasn't seen any of his stuff. I watched a lot of his stuff in Impact and other appearances that he's made. So I'm very familiar with Brian Cage and know what he's capable of doing. Uh, So I'm excited for the opportunity for him to now shine on an even bigger stage that stage being AEW. So I will say as Moxley being champion, I'm officially over it. Okay. I'm ready for a new champion and I'm okay with it being Brian cage. He's like, I just said, he's not an ex WWE guy. So he's new to so many people. You can easily make him your monster champion. All right. Brody Lee, people knew who Brody Lee was. Uh, you know, it was easy to have it be, you know, Kenny Omega be the champion, and they chose to not do that. So you have a guy who looks like a star, who looks like a badass that nobody really knows. So utilize that. He's still got Taz with him. After the match, Taz cuts the promo on Mox uh, and ends it with the classic catchphrase, beat him if you can, survive if he lets you, the old Taz uh, moniker. Um, Being an ACW mark myself, I love Taz back in ECW, so I love this. Taz being a mouthpiece for him, it's good. What can I say? Britt Baker out with Rebel. Britt here in a wheelchair. The recap of this. She goes into rule number three. Rule number three being don't hurt the role model. Now, this is a uh, continuation of the great segment they filmed a couple months back in the dental office. Uh, Baker... Uh, claiming that the accident that left her knee injured was a conspiracy that goes far and beyond. She ran down the women involved in last week's tag match, tagging each of them one with a conspirator label. Uh, Rebel produced a board connecting everyone here from Chris Statlander to Kakaru Shida, Nyla Rose to referee Aubrey. Uh, she labeled Aubrey as the mastermind behind the operation, claiming she was present at every one of the injuries. Oh, it's so good. That have happened to her, essentially. Uh, she says that she will be back at All Out. Never said she'll be wrestling, but I'm sure she'll be involved somehow. Now, the key here is to keep her on TV, all right? 
you got to keep her as a heel. You keep her off TV all summer and you bring her back. Naturally, she's instantly a baby face. Don't mess this up. They've worked very hard to get her here. So don't mess this up. I beg you. Next up, Cody out here with Tony Schiavone for a promo in the ring. Cody won the TNT title last Saturday night at Double or Nothing. Here he is to let us know that the title, the TNT title, is going to be defended every week and will be an open challenge to the locker room. I'm fine with this. Everyone seems to have good matches with Cody, some better than others, but it's going to be good. I think that we're going to see some uh, interesting matches as long as we're not getting pay-per-view matches with Joey Janela every week. I'm probably good with this. They're in safe hands with Cody, in my opinion. Well, Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc defeated SCU. I hate this. I hate them. We're not going to talk about it. Up next, Battle Royal, the winner to earn a shot at the TNT Championship next week on Dynamite. Yep, so we just said that this is going to be an open challenge. So the first open challenge, well, it's predetermined from a Battle Royal. What the fuck is this shit? Jurassic Express, Luca. Jurassic Express, Luther, Christopher Daniels, Sonny Kiss, Brandon Cutler, Peter Avalon, Colt Cabana, Billy Gunn, Wardlow, and MJF made up the field for this battle royal. Before the match, Orange Cassidy uh, was on his way to the ring. Well, he's also a part of this. I forgot to mention that. But he gets attacked outside by Santana Ortiz before making it to the ring because they were mad that he walked through an inner circle promo earlier in the night. The majority of this battle royal was just MJF in the corner with Wardlow fighting off people to protect him. I loved this. He can do no wrong. I will say that every week. Colt Cabana gets eliminated and is frustrated. Walks over to the corner and takes the flyer to join Dark Order after it. Now, Colt Cabana can wrestle. Not always a fan of the comedy shit he's done over the years, but he can have good wrestling matches. We all know this. Maybe this is what he needs. You re- you introduce him into AEW as the uh, Boom Boom Colt Cabana and then turn him heel. He actually did this in Ring of Honor a couple of years ago and was working out just fine for him. So do it again here. Obviously, it made sense to bring him back as regular Colt Cabana, but do it again. You know, I, I-, I like Colt Cabana as a heel. He's done it very recently and it worked out well for him. Eventually, Orange Cassidy rolls into the ring uh, at this point, we're down to a few wrestlers by the time he finally makes it there. Cassidy and Jungle Boy eliminate MJF and Wardlow, so we're down to Cassidy uh, and Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy goes on to win this with a head scissors that eliminated uh, Orange Cassidy. So next week, he's going to get a match against Cody for the TNT Championship. Jungle Boy's been on a hell of a roll, and he does he's having great matches, so I'm looking forward to this one next week. Who knows? Maybe Jungle Boy automatically wins the the title in that first defense. You never know. You never know. Uh, But I do see it eventually being MJF as the one who dethrones him for that title. Before the Battle Royal even happened now, this is a sidebar. I noticed that Allie, the bunny, was with QT Marshall and Brandy Rhodes in the crowd. They separate the, the heels and the baby faces on either side of the crowd. They've been doing this the whole time. So at this point, I went to our Twitter, at PowerBombsPPN, and asked why this was. And apparently, AEW shot an angle that started on Twitter last weekend, where QT and Allie were flirting over Twitter. And then Tuesday night on AEW Dark, which I do not watch, not saying it's bad, 
but I already watch enough goddamn wrestling that I don't have time to watch AEW Dark. But apparently they have a moment that they share, and now she's enthralled with QT Marshall and eating apples and shit. So everyone, the, con- the consensus on Twitter, though, that I-, I got back was everybody seems to think this is just going to end with Allie turning on QT. This whole thing is just weird to me, and I don't see how it does anything for anyone involved. Brandy is already the manager of this tag team, so you're going to have Brandy and Allie out here, and then eventually Allie's going to turn on somebody for Butcher and Blade? This is so weird. Have we mentioned before that Allie and the Blade are married? A lot of people know that, but some people don't know that. So it's just weird that you're going to do that. I don't fucking know. Final segment of the show was the Inner Circle Pep Rally. They're led to the ring by the Jaguars cheerleaders and drumline, which special appearance by Vicky Guerrero, who I got a chuckle out of this. She's for as cringeworthy as she was in the mid 2000s. I appreciate her because she's good at being hated. And she knows it. She knows she's got an annoying voice, so she pushes it even further. So kudos to her. Congratulations. I love it. Chris Jericho ensures fans here that the group here, the inner circle, would band together and come together stronger than ever. Sammy Guevara hands out participation trophies to everyone. Santana hands out his quote-unquote New Yorkian basket, uh, which had everything from a pair of Tims for Jack Swagger, Jake Hager, that is, and for Jericho, a framed photo of Mark Anthony. Jericho gave Sammy a scooter uh, so that he didn't have to use a crutch anymore. So now there he is with the one leg scooting around the ring. Jake Hager now reads a poem. And then Sammy eventually grabs the mic and then asks Jericho what he really wants. To which Jericho says, What I really want is Mike Tyson's head on a platter. He hasn't forgotten what Tyson did to him on January 11th, 2010 on a Monday night. At the top of this segment, you heard the clip. And here's where it all comes from. Mike Tyson comes out with his crew, a posse, or thugs, as Jericho kept referring to them as, uh, which had UFC star Henry uh, uh, Cueto, Vitor Belfort, and others alongside of Tyson. Jericho tried to control this, uh, but it quickly went off the rails. And I'm not saying the end result. It just, this segment went off the rails. Mike Tyson here, as Jericho's trying to pretty much shut him up so he can get his shit out onto the air, because at this point, we're running out of TV time. Tyson's tearing his shirt off, and it's getting stuck as he's pulling it over his head. He's hitting the double buys on Jericho, getting in his face. Jericho, to shut him up, says, oh, yeah, you, you got a nice physique, something along those lines, which leads to eventually... That classic pushing pull apart between Jericho and Tyson. This show was tremendous until 9.57, and then it went downhill for me very quickly at this moment. This was done for the media attention. But you could have done it in so many different ways. You could have had Tyson out there in an in-ring interview and then had Jericho come out, cut a promo on him, or just have somebody attack him from behind. Do something, then literally the same spot that they did 
22 years ago, which, for what it's worth, swayed the ratings, but you have to take into consideration six months prior to that, Mike Tyson was 31 years old, I believe, and six months prior, he had bit the ear of Evander Holyfield, and that was the talk of the world. He was banned from boxing, so he can't box. Well, we'll bring him into wrestling. He was controversial at the time. Now, here we are 22 years later, and you could say that, yeah, he's more of a pop icon now. He's had great cameos in most of the Hangover movies and so many other things. But I guess recently, he started to pop back up. He's gotten in a lot of great shape a couple years ago was showing he's a little heavy now he's jacked abs he's been training and all these rumors are coming out that he is looking to maybe have some sparring fights have some exhibition fights but you know no matter what people just like when you see a tito ortiz fight you know that he is way past his money making days but he's a name that you remember from great fights from years past Mike Tyson is an icon, one of the top draws from the 1980s, somewhat from the 90s, but here, he comes out, you could easily put this on pay-per-view, and sparring or not, that name Mike Tyson, people are going to tune in for one, to see him get embarrassed and get his ass kicked, or to see if he still has it. In this situation, that's the only momentum that they have using with this but shoot a different angle so this is some extra stuff i normally wouldn't talk about but i'm really invested in talking about how i didn't like this now jericho did an interview with espn's mark uh ramondi uh, jericho said it's a it's a wwe angle no it's a chris jericho angle he says i was there i don't just wash away my entire 19 year history with wwe that's ludicrous Anybody criticizing that this was a WWE angle and we brought it over here, this is my life, it's my story. For those who recall, obviously, Jericho and Tyson teamed up to take on Triple H and Shawn Michaels on an episode of Raw in 2010. This was back when they had the guest um, general manager every single week. Tyson ends up turning on Jericho and knocked him out in the middle of the ring and aligned himself with DX. Jericho's character claims that he still harbors a grudge after all these years, and this week on Dynamite, he asked Tyson to apologize, which led to the altercation and programming leading into this happen. Now, obviously, the first thing is, I'm guessing that Tyson's sticking around somehow. Now, as for how the segment played out, Jericho said that he and AEW just let Tyson go. He said, I know what to expect. A guy like him, he's a firecracker. He's a loose cannon as an entertainer, as a performer. You don't give Mike Tyson a script. You don't rehearse something with Mike Tyson. You just go out there. He's going to do whatever the fuck he wants to, and no matter what, and that's cool. I have 30 years of being in the ring, and I can guide that. Regarding the future, Jericho thinks the possibilities are endless, and everybody involved is open to it. He goes on to say, obviously the idea is to do something more. That's the thought process. I think between both parties, uh, what it is at this moment, we're thinking and discussing. Look, Chris Jericho versus Mike Tyson in a wrestling match and a street fight in a boxing match would be big, he added. 
Jericho, by the sounds of it, is more than willing to enter Tyson's world. He says, I know how to box. I would win fights on my own against people of my skill level. So if that's what he wants to do, that works too. Whatever he feels comfortable with, I can make it good. That's what I do for a living. That's what I've done for 30 years. Okay. Even with that being said, nothing of what my criticism is, is about the fact that they harked off this storyline from 10 years ago. I sat down this afternoon and I played the Stone Cold pull apart with him from 1998 for my girlfriend who has never seen that. And I told her to not comment on it. Then I quick put on the ending segment from AEW this week. And then I asked her her thoughts. And her first comments were, they were literally the same thing. Now, this is somebody who doesn't watch wrestling, doesn't like wrestling, will at every turn uh, break my balls about it in in all fun. But there is all the, the proof that I need. You put those two things side to side and they're the same point. With all the creative minds that they have over there, they couldn't have come up with something better, is my issue with this entire segment. We'll obviously see where this goes forward. You have a thought, you have a comment on the way you think this should be handled, let me know. Please, please, I beg you, at PowerbombsPPN on the Twitter, let me know. I want to hear what you have to think about Mike Tyson and Chris Jericho, uh, what they could do going forward, and how they booked this past week on Dynamite. Okay, after that, I need a sip of this beer. Please, if you will excuse me. Ladies and gentlemen, we are getting there. We are getting there. Uh, Sidebar, Process Potables put out a brand new episode uh, two days ago. So Saturday, it's a great one. Take the time to hit that download subscribe button to all of our podcasts. Uh, This week, we should be getting, uh, I believe a possible bonus episode of Popcorn and Potables. You can follow them at Popcorn PPN on Twitter. They just put out a second episode this past week discussing the greatest Batmans, Jokers. Great talk about DC because Marvel gets so much love and I'm sure they're going to eventually get to Marvel, but they jumped into DC here. Of course, the pilot episode of that, uh, a Star Star Wars talk, me not even being a Star Wars guy, I listened to that enjoyed it and that's just not me blowing smoke up people's asses the host uh mike and mary do a great job of you know being compelling about it really letting you know and it's it's great talk there uh, of course basketball's possibly coming back very shortly hockey talks about that coming back very shortly pucks and potables episode one happened a couple months back and then things stopped episode two should be dropping very soon. So be look on the be on the lookout to subscribe to that. Okay, on to NXT. The other show from Wednesday nights. Starts off hot with the Cruiserweight title tournament, Group A action. The final here, Kushida, Drake Maverick, and Jake Atlas. If you recall, out of the whole Group A, the four competitors, these three all tied with a record of two and won this match uh, to determine who will face the Group B winner. Kushida ends up leading a majority of the offense in this match, as you'd assume. Uh, the finish comes on Kushida locks in the Sakuraba lock on Jake Atlas in the middle of the ring. All right. At this point, 
Drake Maverick crawls over and drapes his arm over Atlas and gets a three count for the win. More and more. Is it a work? Are they using the momentum to naturally progress the storyline a way that they didn't originally plan on? After the commercial, they show that Jake Atlas actually tapped out on the two count. But Drake Maverick at this point, being the babyface, says that he wants to get the definitive win, but Kushida tells Drake to take the win and go for the title as his career is essentially on the line here if he doesn't win this title. He tells Kushida that he will be the first to get the shot at the title if he wins. Solid babyface storyline. I'm okay with it. I liked it. Great start to this TV show. Shotzi Blackheart, Raquel Gonzalez. First, can somebody please explain to me, take the time to explain to me Shotzi Blackheart. I don't get what she's supposed to be. She drives this mini tank to the ring. It looks stupid. It's goofy. She seems unstable. They say that she's punk rock. I'm confused every time I see her. Can we, can somebody just explain to me what she's supposed to be? I'd appreciate that. At Powerbombs PPN on Twitter. Dakota Kai comes out and steals the mini tank. Tegan Knox comes out, which causes Candice LeRae to confront Knox after Knox had a part in a Keith Lee Mia Yim mockery video of the, the dinner table videos that Gargano and LeRae had been doing over the last couple of weeks. Little retaliation after last week. Somehow Tegan Knox was like the person that brought them champagne or something in there. So because of that, now Candice LeRae is mad at Tegan Knox. Sweet. So while all the fun's happening here, Gonzalez hits a one-armed powerbomb onto Shotzi Blackheart to win the match. And then after this, Candice challenges Mia Yim to a match next week. So why is she fucking mad at Tegan Knox? If all this does is lead to a match with Mia Yim, who's the person in the video mocking her in the first place? Fucking god damn it. Why? It made no sense to me. Why did you need to do that? Fucking come up with something better. Jesus Christ here. Rhea Ripley and Io Shirai as a team here versus Charlotte Flair and a partner of her choosing who ends up being Chelsea Green, which fuck it. I'm cool with. I think that they think that Chelsea Green's going to be a pretty decent star in that division. So good. Nothing better than putting her with Charlotte Flair. Um, Rhea? I love this in the beginning. They start off with Chelsea and Rhea in the ring. Rhea wants nothing to do with Chelsea. She wants Charlotte. Chelsea won tag out and uh, started getting an upper hand on her. After the first time when, when Rhea kind of throws her aside, Chelsea starts, you know, ducking out of the way and starting to frustrate Rhea. Good stuff uh, in the beginning here. The finish came when Io Shirai went for a springboard dropkick. Chelsea Green pushed Charlotte out of the way, took the bullet for her, which gave Charlotte the opportunity to roll up Shirai for the win here. Keep track of that word. After NXT goes off the air, however, this happens. Yeah, over here, Mackenzie, here's the deal. The reality is, did the Robert Stone brand come through or did the Robert Stone brand come through? I mean, Charlotte Flair, Chelsea Green, one team. Who could pull that off? The Queen and the Princess teaming together. Only the Robert Stone brand could do such a thing. Am I right, Chels? You're right. And ever since signing with the Robert Stone brand, it's worked. 
we've worked. After tonight, Chelsea Green is the hottest she's ever been. That's why you're fired. <laughs> bing, bang, boom, Chelsea, you're fired too. <laughs> Wait. So yeah, I don't know what this means for the Robert Stone brand. Maybe they're just bailing on it. Maybe he's gonna wrestle. I don't I don't know. I thought that they they were a decent fit. They just didn't have time to really let the legs grow on it. So who knows what that means for Chelsea or for the Robert Stone character going forward. Um, Tommaso Ciampa wins in a squash match here against Leon Ruff as Scarlett on the stage looked on the whole time, which leads to a carry and cross promo on the screen after the match. The main event here is a cage fight between Matt Riddle and Timothy Thatcher with Kurt Angle as the special guest referee. This was filmed at Full Sail, uh, which is good because they had to set this up <laughs> uh, definitely earlier in the day. Uh, the cage is unlike anything we've ever seen before. It had elements of a UFC cage where you have obviously the mat, you have the elevated walls, um, but you know there's no ropes or anything like that. There's a whole catwalk area to this, very much like the lion's den that they, they used to use in the late 90s in the WWF. Very cool match. These guys told a hell of a story. Like, literally, right out of the gate, Matt Riddle knocks out two of Timothy Thatcher's teeth, which caused a slight stoppage. Um, even, even if, which I'm assuming it wasn't real, if that, you know, was fake, they were working teeth, not shoot teeth, this was still great for the story. Blood right out of the gate here. It made it real. This was a down and out, rugged cage fight. It wasn't a cage match. It was a cage fight. And uh, even Riddle at this point, he gets on that catwalk, hits a moonsault off the top of it, which looked awesome on the Thatcher. Eventually, Thatcher hooks a rear naked chokehold, and they did the pass out spot here for what ends up being Matt Riddle's final NXT match. It was never billed that way, but it. It ends up being his last match. Um, so bigger things maybe for Matt Riddle on the horizon. We'll find out in the uh, coming weeks and months for sure. Friday Night Smackdown. Now, I know that a lot of our podcasts are based around a topic and drinking beer usually however that does not take away from the fact that there are legitimate people who have legitimate issues and demons in their life uh, such as uh, drug use alcoholism they're very real and jeff hardy is somebody that has had multiple issues with these things he has been let go from WWE on multiple occasions over the last 20 years. Points where he was their world champion and they got the belt off him and had to release him because he kept failing drug tests and had issues. Then, of course, there was the incident in Impact where he was the champion and on pay-per-view, walked out all messed up on drugs, unable to wrestle and defend the title. 
And they had Bischoff come out, Eric Bischoff, who was uh, an authority figure at the time in Impact, come out and basically have Sting and the referee quick count Jeff Hardy down in a shoot on pay-per-view to get him the hell out of the ring. He's got a bad track record. Even recently, he was out with that knee injury, uh, not the injury, but it was a surgery he had. And he had another DUI. SmackDown starts off this week. And we open up outside the Performance Center. Renee Young's out there. And they're shooting it like it's live, like a live newscast. And Elias is on the ground right outside of a car that's pulled up on a curb with the hood popped up and looks like it. The story they're telling is that Elias was struck by someone in a car who they were told was wearing all black, took out, took, you know, got out of the car and just took off running. And they open, the police are investigating this car. He picks up a bottle of, of alcohol of some form. I didn't even see what it was. And he smells it. And then they, they're, they're messing around in the, the, the visor and a piece of paper comes out. And then they say, oh, this car belongs to Jeff Hardy. And they flip over to the other side of the parking lot and there's Braun Strowman. And he's all distraught because he can't believe that this happened. And then they, all these cops and referees, cops and referees, run down behind this tractor trailer and find Jeff Hardy in bushes. And they're telling him that he smells like alcohol and they arrest him right on the spot. Yeah. Bringing real life problems onto your fucking TV show isn't funny. It's not entertaining and it's fucking classless. This guy has dealt with these demons. He's put it out there. He's gone to rehabs and he has done things, but sometimes they can't overcome them. No matter how hard they want to. Why would you find it appropriate to even ask him to do this? I don't even want to say kudos to Jeff Hardy for going through with it because at this point he's probably just thrilled to be, you know, getting a chance to Show off his acting chops. It's probably how he's looking at it. It was tasteless. It was classless. And I hate that they did this. And thought that it was okay to start off their nationally televised show in prime time with this. Now, due to this, Adam Pierce is backstage. Adam Pierce is one of the producers, if you will, agents for WWE. But he's never really had an on-screen presence until now. He's backstage with Lince Dorado, Drew Gulak, Grand Metalik, Dolph Ziggler, King Corbin, Jey Uso, Shorty G, Cesaro, Shinsuke Nakamura, Daniel Bryan, and AJ Styles. Pierce says that Jeff Hardy and Elias will not be able to compete tonight in their respective Intercontinental Title Tournament matches. So AJ Styles pushes for a bye to face Daniel Bryan in the finals because he feels that, oh, well, they shouldn't need to get replacement opponents. So, Styles refuses uh, to do that. Instead, he would rather have his bye instead of taking another match, which Brian 
you know, insinuated. Sheamus and Corbin pushed to get back in the tournament. So this is where everybody else except for Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles end up in a uh, battle royal. The winner of this battle royal will face Daniel Bryan later in the night. And then next week, they will face AJ Styles. Because AJ took the bye. Whatever. He's a heel still, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. This leads, like I said, a battle royal. Sheamus ends up winning this. But out of this battle royal, we also get Shorty G versus Cesaro, uh, which take place later on in the show. Lacey Evans versus Sonya Deville. Lacey, she's awesome. All right, something a year ago I thought I'd never say, but she's great in the ring and her character works so much better as a baby face. Like, what's not to like about her? All right, she's a former Marine. She's a mom, and they've spotlighted that. And, like, she's gorgeous. Like, like, what is there to hate about this woman? And she tried really hard to play that heel, but I think as the babyface, she can now just be the likable person that she naturally is. All right? And she's great in the ring, all right? So, like, there's a spot here right at the beginning because Sonya Deville, mind you, Obviously, MMA background and, and, and shoot fighter. She gets down on all fours in like the amateur pose and says, all right, like let's let's do a classic spot here. And she moved around that ring and she got out of it. I was super impressed with that. You know, I don't know all the traditional wrestling positions, but it was it was entertaining to see somebody that you wouldn't expect to be able to do that against a shoot fighter. That's all I'm going to say with that. Um I'm almost mad that they didn't pull the trigger a couple months back to give Lacey that title when she was really growing momentum, but whatever. I'm sure they're finally going to get that belt on her. Um, either way, uh, Lacey ends up winning this match. All right. Moment of bliss here with uh, Nikki and Alexa uh, with the New Day. It gets interrupted by Bailey and Sasha, which leads us to an impromptu Sasha and Alexa match. Now, Sasha not only talked on the show for the first time, but she's out here wrestling in track pants and sneakers, which I'm not saying is anything wrong, but it's uh, kind of maybe maybe she's starting to slowly change. I, I, I don't know. Um, back to what I said earlier in this program. We get this match, but tonight we get Bailey and Alexa, not Alexa, uh, Bailey and Nikki Cross on our commentary. These two didn't shut the fuck up, all right? And 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 I'm not sure if it happened or if Cole was just joking, but it seemed like they cut their mics off at one point because Graves and Cole couldn't even get a word in. Like, it was that bad. Eventually, they both get off the, the, the headsets. Bailey and Nikki are on the apron. Bailey shoves Nikki into Alexa, and then uh, Sasha um, is able to... Roll up Alexa for another win. So yeah, another week, another thousand roll-ups. It's only a matter of time before we get the Bailey and Sasha split, I'm assuming. Could it be next week? Because next week, Bailey and Sasha are challenging Nikki and Alexa for the women's tag team titles. So we get a backstage segment with Kurt Angle, who announces that Matt Riddle is going to be coming to the SmackDown brand. So... We'll see what they do with him. I'm sure that, you know, they'll find a way to work him in with the enhancement matches 
and build him up to a feud. I, I honestly can't think of who they would put the first feud with. Something tells me it'll be King Corbin. And um, I don't know what to say about that. I'm not saying that Corbin's bad. I, I'm actually a fan of Corbin. I think Corbin does some good stuff. But it seems like they throw everybody to Corbin. And they never give Corbin a chance to actually really seem like he's a legitimate threat to people. Cesaro and Shorty G had a match. Shorty G wins. I miss Chad Gable. Just just being Chad Gable. That was great stuff. I loved it. I um, I miss American Alpha. Interesting, though. We did get a Jason Jordan cameo helping uh, the officers carry Jeff Hardy to the police car earlier in this, in this, uh, this episode. Anyhow, Intercontinental Title Tournament. Well, to face AJ Styles next week, Daniel Bryan, Sheamus, our main event. These two always have great matches, it seems. Uh, There was a crowd, like I said, for all the shows this week, there was a crowd. The crowd definitely helped the energy that these guys needed to have a match and work through the the motions and spots that they needed to, timing-wise. I told you, it really helps. AEW does the same thing, uh, but... You know, the same thing. The wrestlers get it. The baby faces cheer for the baby faces like they should. So it's not, you know, the crowd trying to sabotage it with who they like. I'm a fan of this. But classic wrestling here. Someone gets arrested at the top of our show. And an hour and 58 minutes later, they've made it out of jail, made it back to the arena. Here comes Jeff Hardy. Hits the distraction, which causes Brian to hit a running knee for the win. Again, this was classless, and um, and I was not a fan of it. I don't I don't care who thought of it and who okayed it, and that Jeff Hardy was okay with it. I I, I feel that when it's that serious of a deal, like Jay Uso, why don't you go after the Uso? It might have been Jay, it might be Jimmy. I'm not sure. One of them that's had the couple of D. What? Maybe maybe with him. I think honestly, he just likes to you know you know, party a little bit when he's, when he's driving, but he's had two incidents and, uh, Jeff Hardy's had multiple, multiple documented things, which has caused so many situations to the point where he couldn't even leave the country at one point. He used to have to get written off of TNA TV every single December or early January so that they could do the entire two month UK run without him and then bring him back because he couldn't even leave the country ridiculous all right so again let me know what you think about that let me know what you thought about the chris jericho mike tyson stuff at uh, powerbombs ppn on the twitter uh like all of our shows uh give us a follow hit us with that gimmick five star um rating on apple podcasts for us we are powerbombs and potables of course uh process potables pucks and potables and popcorn and potables. Um, until next week, um, again, I'm not sure. I think what we're going to end up doing is just a super long uh, episode for you where we will do a full group recap of the NXT In Your House show plus the recap of wrestling for the week that was next week. Until then, everybody, have a great week. 
Um, and I, I say this every week, but I, I really mean it after this weekend. Everybody stay safe, but most importantly, stay over. Stay over.